The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Remember that show back then. Remember that show. Turn on the TV, time was always flying. Why did they have to end? So many shows you forgotten. Hey there, TV lovers, and welcome to episode 7 of Remember That Show, the podcast where we revisit the forgotten or obscure TV shows of the 80s and 90s. And we asked three lovely listeners what they thought of our fine program, and here's what they had to say. I was so stimulated by their Parker Lewis Can't Lose episode, I had to take a cold shower. Adam and Will keep my boob tube rocking, so don't come a-knocking. Somebody call the show doctors because I need a prescription for more episodes. Well, we're trying to deliver, that's for sure. You know, we've gone to our two-episode-a-month format. We give you a regular episode like this and maybe something even a little more obscure, getting deep into pilots and things like that. So tell you a little bit more about that at the end of the show. But, Will, we got to let these people in. We got to let them know about our lives, and this one's going to be extra steamy. So let's check out our theme song. Love is in the air this month, and for better or for worse, a lot of TV-loving kids learned about romance from the relationships we saw playing out in prime time. Adam, do you have a favorite TV couple? All right, so it's kind of interesting, right? There's so many to choose from, uh, but strangely enough, for me, I always had a soft spot for Ted and Joan Lawson from Small Wonder. So the mom and dad, you know, Vicky the robot. I love their relationship because even though Ted, he was like a goofy idiot, he laughed at his own jokes all the time, but they seemed to legitimately like each other just in the relationship as written the magic hadn't gone out of their relationship. You know, Joan wasn't a doormat. You know, she put Ted in his place, but not in a nagging way. And Ted was always very amorous towards her and, you know, just like hitting on her. So I they were always kissing on the show. It was just, it felt like a good model of a happy marriage. That was always kind of what I was looking at. I was like, someday I'd like to have that. The other side, you got to look at it. She's like, if a guy can create a little robot girl to live in the family house and not immediately get to serve divorce papers, you know, there's got to be some trust there, you know? <laughs> right, right, like, oh, right. I mean, he was playing God and they would probably end up doing jail time together. So that's love. <laughs> And on the commentary, the uh, first season DVD set, they actually say that they were friends. Like they they were both married, but they would double date together with their spouses. So like they knew each other before they even did the show. So that must have played into it in a big way. Right. So what about you, Will? <sighs> this is a this is a big question. And I thought about it for a long time, but I keep coming back to Corey and Topanga. That was 
I was just the right age for that. And it's so weird because like if you start out with Boy Meets World, then they have that whole like elementary school relationship of like they clearly like each other, but she's weird and the child of hippies and he'll like hit her. But then she wears his baseball cap and things like that. And then as they grow up, They retcon the whole hippie thing, but like, then it becomes like a teen relationship. We just grew up together. I saw what they had and I wanted that. Now, I will say that I eventually wanted what Sean and Angela had more than Corey and Topanga because I feel that Corey and Topanga jumped the shark when Corey stows away on a cargo plane to follow her to Walt Disney World. Like, at that point, I was like, that's too far. Like, you're breaking laws, you're crossing state lines. Teen love ain't worth all of it. Well, I have a question because I didn't watch Girl Meets World. Ben Savage wasn't on that, right? So, like, he was. Oh, they he all was? were. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. So. That was before he cut them off. He was like second lead. He teaches at the school. So, he was his daughter's teacher. While she was in middle school, and Topanga's a lawyer, but then she ends up opening a coffee shop, because you gotta have one in a sitcom. Everyone came back, but, like, some characters just pop in, like, Eric, you see him, like, twice, and he's weird, doing weird stuff. But you even got Feeny back. Like, everybody comes back. Oh, okay. So he just did participate on their podcast is all. Okay. Yeah. It was after Girl Meets World where he just kind of cut ties. It was around the time he decided to run for public office, and it's like he started being ashamed of his past or something. Wow, I didn't know he was getting into politics there. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Now, well, you know, it's also pretty clear that TV is not always the right place to learn about dating or how to woo a potential partner. So can you maybe think of a time that you got the wrong message from a fictional television romance, tried to use it in real life, or just recognized it as a lesson learned? Okay, don't do that. Oh, definitely. Urkel and Laura. Like... Plain and simple. His tactic was to wear her down. And it took him like seven years, but he succeeded. So I carried that with me throughout teenagerdom. And anyone who went to high school with me, none of them are listening to this show. But there was this girl named Amani who I was obsessed with from like the age of 13 to 17. But I was going to wear her down. And I did by second semester senior year. So CTV is educational. <laughs> See, mine is 100% the same deal because Saved by the Bell, I feel messed up a lot of kids' perception yes. of what high school is going to be like and what friendships should be and all that. But it really warped my perception of romance with Screech's relentless pursuit of Lisa. And just again, that idea of men wearing down women that had no interest in them until they gave in and said yes to a date. Like that was in movies, that was TV, that was just everywhere in the 80s. But as a kid, because I related to Screech's kind of odd ball outsider persona i thought that any girl i liked she just needs to see the real me even if they scrunched up their nose every time i walked by or talked to them you know so the model in my mind you know i'm like oh lisa so there's this like nice cute you know african-american girl vanessa who i wanted to woo into being my playground girlfriend and i thought the best way to do this was to win her a plastic jeweled ring with tickets at our local like chuck e cheese style pizza parlor it was called bullwinkles and 
So I begged my mom to take me there on a weekday. I played skee-ball like a champ. I traded, you know, my 10, 20 tickets, whatever it was, for this big ring. And the next day, I met her near the swings. And with all the confidence in the world, I got down on one knee. I'm like, Vanessa, will you be my girlfriend? And of course, she freaks out. She runs away from me. But again, I learned from Samuel Powers, you have to be persistent in the face of rejection. So I'm chasing her around the blacktop, holding the ring outstretched in a desperation. I finally said, but we can be like Screech and Lisa. And I was obviously very confused, not realizing they didn't have a relationship on that show, you know? And I wouldn't have known what to do if she said yes. Anyway, like, what, what, what right. was I going to do? So that, That's that age where you're like, oh, we're just boyfriend-girlfriend. What does that mean? I don't know. We hold hands sometimes, you know? Yeah, I guess. But, but my question for you then is, was Saved by the Bell in its original run at this time? And... At what point was it? Because, you know, by the time they get to senior year, I have to give them credit for this. They do have the whole, like, come to Jesus, like, Screech, you know this isn't going to happen, right? And, like, they're better off for it. There's only, like, six more episodes after that, and half of them have Tori. But, like, they finally do confront it instead of doing the whole, like, okay, he finally won her over. Even... In the revival, it would have been so easy for them to be like, oh, Screech and Lisa live in Malibu now or something. But no, he's in space and I guess he never makes it back. And she's a fashion designer in Paris. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it was nice that they could acknowledge it, and they gave him Violet. Like, it's just, like, a better match, and look how much she adores you, Screech. Like, that was the other thing. Then Tori goes on and does 90210, so she can't stay on the series, but you would think, like, like, just make her a regular, you know? Like, she was so great on that show, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> so, we know what we're talking about tonight. That is dating game shows. So, we gotta check out how this particular series got the green light. So, well, here's the thing. Dating shows were already an institution on TV by the early 90s. I mean, in 1965, Chuck Barris, who would go on to create and host The Gong Show, <laughs> brought the dating game to the airwaves. And it was a competition. Most people know this format. Bachelorettes are asked questions to three potential dates. They couldn't see them. But then at the end, after all the questions were asked, they could pick the person that they wanted to go out with. Now, in the 80s, the concept was taken to the next level by, you know, the love connection hosted by Chuck which had a, a single man or woman paired with a date who was chosen out of three possibilities by the studio audience. Like they would just see their little video dating, you know, testimonial, then vote. It's kind of like America's Funniest Home Videos, how they would vote for their favorite, right? And then they would go on the date and they'd report back to the studio audience and Chuck on that first date experience. Now, it was so popular, the love connection, it lasted for over 2,000 episodes. I mean, this is like 1983, I think, until like 1992 or something like they almost made it 10 years of course though in the late 90s mtv singled out took the idea of a dating game show to the extreme you have 50 potential dates for a hot dude or a sexy babe that are culled down to a handful by process of elimination until only you know a handful remained of course with the rise of reality tv nowadays even more so the world of dating shows has grown even more popular and they're not even just dating shows they're get married shows the bachelor the bachelorette i mean they're ratings juggernauts this is such a popular format so i am curious of the shows that were on in the 80s and 90s which did you watch the most or is there another one i'm leaving out 
You left out what I watched the most. Because I will say I watched The Love Connection because it was on daytime syndication, but did, really didn't love it. And there's something about Chuck Woolery I didn't like, and he would prove me right in later life. Um, and I didn't have cable, so I couldn't watch Singled Out. But my favorite thing late high school is what I call the dating trifecta because these three shows aired pretty much at the same time. There was Change of Heart, which is similar to this model, and then there was Eliminate, where like Eliminate, you basically like a guy would go out with like four women and over the course of the episode, once he got tired of one, he'd be like, okay, you're eliminated. And then he'd end up with three women until like by the end, hopefully he likes the one who's left or he eliminates her and goes home alone. And then the third show is The Fifth Wheel. It was hosted by Aisha Tyler. Basically, they rode a bus like it was like a party bus and... It's the Eliminate concept, but the reason I like these shows, Blind Date's in there too, but the reason I like them, this is when reality TV started becoming fake. It was that transition from the real world to the simple life kind of, you know, where it starts becoming scripted. And the way I found out, it was kind of like a kid discovering that like their favorite celebrity is a terrible person. If you watched these shows religiously, which I did, you would see the same women making the rounds through the shows because these were really just actresses trying to do something in Hollywood. And they would get progressively crazier because you saw like in the early days of when the explosion happened, like MTV had a bunch of dating shows, VH1, Flavor of Love, Rock of Love, all that. The key was to be the craziest person because the craziest person got the spinoff. So like, this is the like infancy of the crazy person kind of like sticking out like a sore thumb, which you hadn't seen prior to this. And that's kind of why I like studs, but we'll get into that. How about you? I wasn't expanding out. Like I remember like there was like some type of like cheating show where like they would catch like cheaters. Like I remember yeah, cheaters. That. Yeah, just but that's cheaters. not a dating show. That's just people getting tackled outside of TGI Fridays. And it's awesome. I love cheaters. I have yeah. cheaters on DVD. Oh wow. <laughs> it's an institution. <laughs> no, but I, I definitely too, like you said, just because it was just everywhere, it was always on TV. The love connection was big, you know, in, in the afternoon. Those like supposedly hot young singles, you know, as I look back now, I'm like, wow, these were just real square people, but they seemed so cool and grown up to me at the time. But nothing they were saying anyway made sense to me. I'm like six to nine or something when I'm watching the show. But also Chuck Woolery to me, he was up there with Pat Sajak and Alex Trebek in terms of iconic game show host because he looked like a caricature of a TV host, you know, like he had the, the you know, the swoopy hair, he had the giant head and chin he had the look and the voice but i have to say i when i was like making the active decision it was singled out because by the time that came along i'm in the middle of puberty jenny mccarthy was reason enough to tune in every day you know and you probably remember this will because you're such a big snl fan but there was a saturday night live sketch parody of singled out where pamela anderson lee at that time played jenny mccarthy and she just does a bunch of fart and booger picking jokes like kind of mocking jenny mccarthy's look at me i'm just one of the guys but hot you know kind of gimmick that she had so 
I just, I loved that show. It was so like, once Carbon Electric came on though, I was like, no, that's not for me. Like, I'm not interested now. So see, yeah. I was more Carmen Electra than team Jenny McCarthy. So like, that was the age where like, I was asked, we talked about my friend Chris on the game show when we watched Jeopardy together. That's when I was like, Hey, Chris tape singled out for me. You know? Like, so I liked that last era. <laughs> oh, interesting. The one thing I want to say just real quick about that, that Saturday Night Live uh, parody is, you know, obviously they had to have a ton of extras and people like pretending to be the people being eliminated. And Selma Blair, of all people, was one of the extras. And I mean, she just makes this face to the camera and you're like, you can't miss her. And I was like, oh, that's wild. Anyway. All right. Uh, well, that being the case, we kind of, we set the stage. We know what was on TV at the time, but this show that we're talking about tonight studs boy did they find their own niche and run with it so speaking of a niche it's time for our elevator pitch Well, Studs was a dating game show that aired on the Fox Network from 1992 to 1993, hosted by comedian Mark DiCarlo. The setup for Studs was that two guys would go on blind dates with the same three women. All five individuals then appeared on the show together with the Studs answering questions based on things they learned about their dates and earning stuffed hearts for each correct answer they provided in the first round. Each stud is given the chance to choose a topic, which included things like how they sounded over the phone, first impression or looks, and then were given three statements made by each of the women they went out with. The stud would then try to match the statement to the correct woman. Now for the second round, the studs had to decide which of them the women voted for in categories like most likely to be a Chippendales dancer or most likely to take a bubble bath alone. Eventually, each stud would reveal which of the women they wanted to go out with again, which would always eliminate one of the three. The studs then described where they would like to take their chosen lady on their dream date. Then each of the women revealed their choice for who they would want to go out with again. Just to make things interesting, the women could also decide they didn't like either of the guys. If the stud and the woman both chose each other, they won a dream date paid for by the show. In the event that both studs matched up with the woman they wanted to go out with, the stud with the most hearts won. It's interesting that they also had episodes where they would bring back contestants who didn't win a date or weren't picked on a previous episode and give them a second chance. Like most shows I don't think would do that unless they're these scripted ones you were talking about. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of fun to see the continuity between the episodes because they would have each person that explained how, how and why the game didn't go in their favor that time. Uh, you know, maybe they didn't have enough hearts or there was too much competition for one stud, you know. They even did some really fun stuff. They recorded studs on Spring break at Universal Studios Florida. They had studs across America, which was a competition where they had hot guys from each state competing to be the ultimate stud in an elimination round. Like it was it was wild. But of course, what really set studs apart was the innuendo-laden nature of the clues and the more sex-obsessed <laughs> you know attitude of the contestants, which fitted perfectly on the Fox network, as we all know. So we're going to read you a few examples of the types of clues that the studs were given. So for example, he wiggled around the room like he had a crotch full of cash. <laughs> <laughs> 
One touch of his flesh and my lifelong itch was finally scratched. That towel, that tan, Lord have mercy, it's Mr. Sex Man. <laughs> Call John Walsh. He has America's most wanted butt. Wow. I mean, it was just nonstop. And I have to say, there's no way that these were uh, written by the ladies themselves. They obviously had writers for the show polishing up uh, all this. But what it was is this outrageous style that the show had got it a lot of attention in pop culture. Like there was a parody of the show on The Simpsons. There was an entire episode of Family Matters where Steve, Eddie, and Waldo competed on a nearly identical show called Dudes. Uh, even on the lesser-known Ben Stiller show, they had a sketch called Amish Studs, where the contestants were so chaste, they didn't get any of the innuendo being thrown out by Ben Stiller, who was doing his Mark DiCarlo impression. So, let's talk about studs, Well, What was your exposure, your history of watching studs in the 90s? It wasn't a regular show of mine, honestly, because... I was a tad too young. It predated like puberty and everything. So I wasn't really into like the innuendo. This is back when I was watching like Three's Company and Cheers and not getting some of the jokes. And now I watch it. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it was the same thing there. You know, we always joke about how if you see MASH, it means you've been up too late. And here, studs aired before MASH. You know, but it was like, I've never really had a bedtime. So it wasn't that it was on too late, but there was just always better syndicated stuff on. Like Channel 20 showed Next Generation like four times a day. So I was watching that for the like 87th time. I would occasionally see studs, but then I think my mom would come in the room and she would get the jokes and she'd be like, turn that off. So back to Next Generation, you know? So like, I was not an avid viewer of this. Like I didn't get to dating shows shows until probably Buzz, which came out in like 96, and I hope we cover it one day because it only had two seasons, so... <laughs> There's bound to be another Valentine's Day episode. That's there for sure. I, I mean, I will say for some reason, like I was always, I don't know, I wouldn't call this romance, but I was always like obsessed with romance and dating. Like in preschool, I had a girlfriend. You know what I'm saying? Like I always was interested in, in the relationships between men and women. So when this show was on, like it was probably just the hooting and hollering of the audience that initially got me to stop and keep watching. And then I just thought Mark DiCarlo was so funny as a kid because he was like, he was so outgoing. Going and, and, and so I watched this show a lot. Like, I, I don't know how, like, because I was trying to think, like, well, when was it on? In my brain, it was on in the afternoons, but it feels like that can't be right. Like, it, it definitely had to have been a late night or prime time and something like that. It, it was late night because the reason it got canceled was to make room for the Chevy Chase show. Oh. So, well, like, it was an 11 p.m. show. Interesting. I mean, because I know I wasn't up that late. So I wonder if they were rerunning it on weekends or something in my area. And maybe I was getting to watch it then. That That's possible. Uh, but yeah, so it definitely like it's always stood in my mind. Just the design of the set, just everything about it, like was really a burden into my brain. So I'm excited to, to get deeper into this. The live studio audience, they were always cheering. But let's see what we have to offer with our cheers. Will, so let's hear a little bit about what you thought revisiting it now. What were you enjoying about this show? 
we say it all the time and like i know we've painted ourselves into a corner but 90s fox is just my sweet spot like i love everything about that era the out of control studio audience the edginess like they weren't saying stuff like this over on night court you know so watching this My favorite part of it, because we live in this age of heavily edited, scripted, unscripted programming, I liked how these felt like real people. They felt like just normal people. It could be the, the girl who lives across the hall. And one of my favorite aspects of it was they didn't embellish anything about like their jobs. Like their jobs were kind of like a joke, you know, because they didn't have like doctors or lawyers. Like the guys were always like artists or construction workers or like real estate moguls. And then they're like, this is Corby. She's 19 years old and she's a cashier. Or there was one time where they're like, she works at a hospital that has a Burger King down the street. <laughs> you know, so it was just kind of like a reality show right now. What do you do? Uh, I'm an influencer and a model. No, you don't have a contract and you have 12 followers. You are neither of those things. So it felt down to earth to me. And I really appreciated that. They're so cool and friendly. Like the girls might say slightly rude things in their quotes, which again, I don't think they wrote necessarily. But you can tell like even if they didn't have a good time, they aren't bitter or angry. They're just just being honest and exactly. the studs they're not in competition with each other they're like high-fiving like they're sometimes they're, they're roommates like but they'll be like fist bumping and elbowing each other just having a good time like it's weird it's just like nobody's out to embarrass the other person or anything like that by comparison when i went back i watched a few episodes of the love connection and they had a lot of like narcissists on that show that were just like they're blaming each other you ruin the date no you ruin the date they're yelling at each other and like i don't know the studs could tell since they just feel like reasonable, relaxed people looking for a good time. Maybe love, but there's like not a whole lot of ego wrapped up in it. It's just like, right. we're young. Let's have some fun, you know? Right, right. Definitely. Like nowadays you go on a show and it has to end in a wedding. That one, you didn't know if there'd be like a second date, you know? Like stakes keep going up. Like from my dating show Trifecta, the goal was always to get to the hot tub. Like if they got to the hot tub by the end of the episode, then dot, 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 you knew what that meant. <laughs> but like here here they were a little coy because we hadn't gotten there yet but like i watched an episode I, i don't remember if it's the same one we were watching but she said that like oh we both live really far away and my grandmother's house was closer to the date so we ended up staying overnight and mark DiCarlo asks like well where did you sleep oh in my father's childhood room and where did he sleep in my father's childhood room. And then the dad was in the audience. Yep. They're like, hey, dad, have you ever brought a girl back to your room? And he's like, where do you think she came from? <laughs> So it was like the comedic timing of these normal people was excellent. You know, like well, and, and you, you mentioned this earlier, like the Raj factor, it's just high enough to be edgy, but not offensive. You know, it's like right. it's funny. Like, I'll put it this way. My wife, she really does not like looking back at 90s pop culture, but she watched an episode of Studs with me and she's laughing out loud. She's got a smile on her face. She doesn't like awkward humor, but she just couldn't believe how frank everyone was being about making out getting frisky like there's a moment where this one guy he's he just pulled 
pulls out from behind his back. He's like, gives this girl back her shoe and says she left it in his bed. And her reaction is just, it's so priceless. She's like, I'm so embarrassed, but I didn't sleep with him. I can't deny it, you know? And they were just like having a good time. Yeah, and really, like anything can happen. Like I, I sent you one episode where all of a sudden the audience is now singing the Brady Bunch theme song. And like, they just let them do the entire song. You know? Right. I was like, did they have to clear that? You know, like that wasn't fair use. That was the entire theme song. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, because how do you feel about Mark DiCarlo? Is he a plus or is he a jeer? Are we saving that? He works, but he works the same way that Bill Maher was the game show host in that episode of Married with Children. Like, it's that early 90s, you're kind of skeezy, but you're charismatic enough to get where you need to be. So it's like, I'm not sitting here wondering what happened to Mark DiCarlo. But in that moment in time, he was the best guy for the job. Yeah, 100%, because like he he himself is so able to go with the flow and feed like the energy. If you look at the uptight nature by comparison of the love connection and Chuck Woolery, it, it's almost stoic and it's so stark. Everything's all white and perfect. And Chuck Woolery always seems slightly offended by the more racy comments of the contestants. And then, yeah, total opposite of the spectrum, Mark DiCarlo, he's just fun. He makes it about himself a lot of times. He loves to like just throw in jokes that he thinks are hilarious he'll laugh at his own jokes you know but you can tell he's not taking it seriously either he's like it's entertainment i'll do my bit at the opening i'll do a bit you know halfway through why not let me just give you a little something extra like they, they did one where he does a, a parody of lou Gehrig giving his announcement you know like the famous speech and they did it in black and white and you're just like what are you doing like it was so off the rails so many times but like nobody cares they're just like is it fun it's fun it did get to a point, and I don't know if I was watching them in order because I was just kind of like hopping around. So I'm going to assume this was season two, but it does get to this like early Conan-esque weirdness, like this absurdity. Like there's one episode where they just had this senior citizen couple introduce the show. Yeah. You know, it's like, where'd they come from? And that was the same kind of stuff Conan would do when no one was watching. He's like, I can do what I want. Like it's 1230. And I was really into that at the time. So like watching this, I'm like, huh, was this just like 90s lampoon humor? <laughs> you know, we're talking about how prolific love connection was with his 2000 episodes that was over nine years studs only had like three seasons and 580 episodes can you believe like this is a show that was five nights a week now to put that in perspective mighty morphin power rangers is five days a week season one is only 59 episodes so it's like you gotta rerun some stuff here but not studs <laughs> Yeah, man, they, they were keeping it rolling for sure. And the only other thing I want to say, this just personally for me, is it was filmed in LA. So, you know, it's a California show. And a lot of the places that people were referencing, like that they went on the dates or, you know, where they were coming from, like, that's all stuff I know. You know, like, they're like, oh yeah, we went to Balboa. We went to the fun zone. And like, all the, it's like places I was hanging out as a kid, you know, in Orange County. And so like, it was just, it was exciting to hear that too, just to kind of, oh, okay, I, I could definitely relate. Well, well, you know, it can't all be those strangely quilted heart badges they were throwing out. So now it's time that we check out our jeers. Boo! Boo! 
I'm just going to throw this one out to start, which is if you can't stomach greasy 90s style guys with long hair, like you're just, you're not going to enjoy the show because there's so many of the studs have like the slicked back ponytails or they got giant Fabio hair. Like it's pretty hilarious to look at now, but if you're looking like, oh, let me see some hot guys, you're probably not anymore. Yeah, to piggyback on that, this is for like both sides of the stage. My issue with the guys is they're not douchebag bros that we've come to know, but they're still trying too hard. Like, the men never come off genuine to me. They're all playing characters. Like, it's a caricature of a man. Like, this one is the sensitive artist type, and you can tell because his hair is long. And this one is the business guy because he's wearing a blazer, and he was in a fraternity, you know? And it's like, the artist guy will play the part. He's he's sensitive, and he might say some poetry. Or, what do women like about you? I think it's my eyes. I give them that smoldering look. You know? Meanwhile, like, the other guys like what do women like about you oh my big beefy hands and then the woman will say like i loved his big beefy hands and of course he knows this about him so that's my issue with the guys but then the women i was gonna say the women look old as hell but like the nicer way to say it is both parties look dated because you have to remember in high school we always said that 80s hot is 90s ugly because like the styles didn't carry through so that first season you're seeing the the embers of dying 80s hot whereas like the big perms and all that and they're telling us they're 22 and they look like an a 90s 37 you know like it's just aging changed throughout that time but then you get to like season two and they're looking like extras from say by the bell so it's like it's going with the times but it's just a very dated show to look back on but that's kind of the problem with all 90s fox it's a time capsule but it's jarring when you revisit it yeah for sure now i do want to say too it got a little repetitive sometimes because when they would asked the women what they looked for in a guy 90% of the ladies answered I like a tall guy with dark hair and dark eyes and they would just say that over and over again and it got really boring I was like who is the ideal sexy man of the early 90s they're all envisioning I mean is it Mel Gibson is he kind of the look that they were thinking like were blonde guys totally gross to women in the 90s like well one episode I watched it wouldn't have been Mel Gibson because I think even he was too old at that point because these girls were 19 in this one episode and they were saying her ideal guy was a cross between Christian Slater but she said but he would have a hard body like Johnny Depp yeah I'm like, like I'm thinking of like current Johnny Depp who's like a waif <laughs> Like, he was a hard body at one time. Was this 21 Jump Street Johnny Depp? But you're right in that, like, it was repetitive. They all kind of, like, wanted the same things. But it was a simpler time. I'm not going to hold that against <laughs> Now, I wanted to see if you noticed this too, if you caught any of these episodes, but it can get a little awkward when one guy is clearly favored by all the ladies over the other, because yes. that guy becomes the instant stud and the other is an obvious dud. You right. know, like you just right. feel bad for the guy because he gets all these negative comments. It'll be stuff like, he looked like Dennis the Menace's little brother. What compounds that too, like you were saying, this is not a competitive show. These guys are not competing with each other, even though they are. Like, 
with every win and success, they're high-fiving, they're bonding. This is probably the best men's bonding experience in 30 years. If that happened in a show today, the other guy would rub it in. But like, you feel bad for both of them. You feel bad for the dud, but you feel bad for the stud who has to sit next to the dud who he kinda likes. It's embarrassing because all three of these women want his junk, you know? It's true. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunately that the true nature of, you know, dating and things like that, like you could be in the same room and one guy's going to get all the attention or one girl's going to get all the attention. Like if you're charismatic, that's how it goes. But it's the most fun when each guy is equally hot in their own way or equally charming. You really enjoy like seeing, like you say, the camaraderie they're having. They're like, hey, we're all just having a good time. Some of the insults though, I had to share just a few more of these because there's like, you know, something just like, he had all the sincerity of a used car salesman. But then they'd get silly. Like, he had Steven Seagal's hair and Toucan Sam's nose. (laughs) Or if he thought he was turning me on, he was mistaken. So that kind of stuff. Then you have to watch the reaction of the guy like, oh, you know. But then a lot of times they would know exactly who said that. Well, you know, it was Tori. We didn't hit it off, obviously. She didn't even give me a chance. So I knew, you know, like. Right, right, right. That that would happen. Also, I'm not going to say the rules are confusing, but it's funny to me that one of the most memorable aspects of the show visually is the stuffed hearts with the velcro but they don't mean anything unless it's like both guys win i mean half the time they're not even going to come into play but still like when you think of studs it's these guys in like 90 suits with like velcroed hearts and lips on them yeah that and like just like the checkerboard nature of the stage and like it just it looked like a 90s like yuppie living room like it totally embodies that whole idea the only other thing i wanted to point out is that in i know it was just the times but they definitely had the white shows and the black shows like you could only have you know black studs going on dates with black women and white studs going on dates with white women nowadays you know, it would just be whoever, you know, like was on the show. So that was just like, of the time you look back, you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, why, why does it have to be that way? But, you know, it's early 90s. There was a lot of racial tension, you know, I guess. Oh, yeah. And that was everywhere. It's like back to next generation. It's like, oh, there's a black ambassador. Guess Jordy's getting a love interest this week. <laughs> you know, like, that's just, that was everywhere. But yeah, so uh, you can point you know, at some things, but they, they are indicative of the era. But the show itself, uh, you know, as we've said, overall just a ton of fun but we gotta ask a question to ourselves does it need to be fixed would studs work today so it's time that we uh, come on down as the show doctors What do you think, Will? Studs now? Studs then? Could it have lasted if it didn't get canceled uh, in favor of the Chevy Chase show? (laughs) Oh yeah, it could have lasted and it didn't need to change anything. It would have because that's just the nature of that era. Maybe they would have added an 800 number or something. But like, (laughs) it was fine as it was. Today, there are a lot of issues. First of all, you got to rename it. 
I'm going to let our audience go to Urban Dictionary, but stud means something else now. So you can't put that on a national level unless it airs on Logo. So I would change it to dudes, like on Family Matters. And what I would do, because I think the young hot dating show has been done to death. And based on the popularity of this recent entry into the field, I would do the golden dude. I would apply this formula to senior citizens. Interesting. Because keep in mind, and this is this is this is how my brain works, a lot of the people who were on studs are senior citizens now. So we could revisit some couples. The formula will still work. And it's great entertainment to see like old people still have some fire in them. I think the golden dude would be a rating smash. Because we didn't even talk about stud That was like the occasional episode where they flipped. Where like the two women were going to choose from three guys. But that was always like a special occasion. It wasn't a spinoff or anything. But here we would have different cycles. A golden dude, then a golden dudette. And then we'd have like dudettes in paradise where they'd go to Boca Raton. You know, it's like, that's what I would do. Speaking of the people who were on the show... So as we were hunting down episodes on YouTube, I don't know if you saw this trend, but a lot of the posts of episodes were by the contestants from their personal YouTube accounts. So it would say like the title would be this person on studs. And then you'd look at the name of the channel and it was that person's name. And I was like, either studs is trying to get a revival and they're creating channels based on the contestants or everybody who was on it put a tape in their VCR and recorded their episode and saved it all these years and are very proud that this is where I met your dad, you know? (laughs) I I would believe it because the one you sent me, I Googled that guy because it's like studs with Jim McIrney or something like John McIrney. And I Googled him and he's like this California real estate mogul, you know, so it's like it's a big deal. That's like learning like the head car dealership guy in your town was on a dating show, you know, but like exponentially so. I totally believe they were doing that. I always had this script in my head as we get away from like the time period, it's less and less likely. But I wanted a character of a like narcissistic dad whose claim to fame was he won American Gladiators. Like he wasn't a gladiator. He was just contestant and he still wears the ring because people forget you got a ring. So he wears it like he won the Super Bowl. So with that mindset, that's the guy who's uploading his studs episode at 55. Now, as far as what I would do with the show, so I I think, like you were saying, the formula is so basic and so easy. It's like a party game that you would play with friends. You know, like there's really nothing to be fixed as long as you had the right host who's keeping the good vibes rolling, who's having a fun time and letting everybody else like feel the same. That being said, though, like I would say, despite the fact that the show, it, it never got too cringeworthy, even for the 90s. Like you look back, you're like, there's really nothing offensive. In our modern culture, you brought the this up, I don't think anyone would speak their mind freely enough to actually be entertaining. Everybody's going to be scared about being canceled or harassed on social media, or like you said, everybody presents their brand all the time. So I think, you know, because the authenticity would be lost, you just accept that. And I would pitch a revival of studs as an improv comedy podcast where comedians portray crazy characters who went on dates for the show. And then they share like the wacky details 
details of their night out. And I think that would just be fertile ground for big laugh. I would enjoy like the mockery of it. It doesn't even have to be set in the 90s, but just use the format and just see where it goes. Like, I think that would be like endlessly entertaining because right now, you know, on a show like Comedy Bang Bang, you know, there's like all these characters that, you know, the actors come in with and, and it's like, that's great. But what if there was an actual like competition or something they were vying for? They could really just go all the way, uh, you know, it being outrageous. I, I would love to listen to that. I like that. I'm about to like pull the curtain back on like <laughs> show business, but like that's a common radio tactic, you know, like in all the big markets, there's War of the Roses, like every iHeart station does it, where it's like, oh, we're going to send roses to see if your girlfriend's cheating, blah, blah, blah. That was developed at a radio conference because it started in like a small market and there's a conference every year where the top DJs go and they trade bits and secrets. So the only reason War of the Roses is like nationwide now is because of that conference, but they're all fake. <laughs> they're all scripted. Nobody's cheating. No one's getting any roses and it's just on terrestrial radio. So kind of like that model, but putting it on a podcast, I can see it working if it, like you said, was Comedy Bang Bang, if it were a regular feature of a show that had other things. I don't know if people would tune into the Studs podcast, but if they tuned into Remember That Show, this week is a Studs week, and people are like, yeah, 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 Studs! <laughs> Oh, it would it would be fun. But that does it for our our exploration of studs. If you all remember it out there, we'd love to hear uh, you know, your thoughts and your comments. So find us on social media. But we gotta talk about our second episode for this month now. We talked about what we're gonna be doing second time around is talking about these pilots. And Will, you chose a particular pilot. It's called She's With Me. It's a nineteen eighty-six sitcom pilot, and it stars a model named Jerry Hall who was all the rage at the time. and She was in Batman 89, so I yep. know two of y'all out there all love that. <laughs> and then, uh, is it Dinah Manoff from Empty Nest? Yep. So why did you choose this, just to give everybody a teaser as to why we're going to be <laughs> discussing this particular pilot? Well, I was looking for the pilot of another show that I wanted us to cover, and you know the algorithm, so I just kind of fell into this. Like, I didn't, I'd never heard of it, I didn't research it, it was like the next video, and I had nothing to do, and it was good. Like, it was one of those things of, like, you really couldn't tell why they passed on it. Like, pilots are kind of like a, a first draft kind of thing. It's like proof of concept. And once they pick up the show, everybody has a different haircut and maybe some last names are changed. But like, this one felt like it was ready to go for 1986. And then I started the whole like trickle down thing of like, well, if it had been picked up, what would that mean? Would Jerry Hall have been available for Batman 89? And that means Dinah Manoff doesn't get on Empty Nest. So then who gets that role? And then it's just this whole butterfly effect of an alternate timeline. And I was like, this is the show. All right. Well, we will get into that discussion next time around, exploring, you know, something that's new to both of us, new to all of you, and we're sure as well. But just stay tuned. Uh, before we get out of here, though, do want to give you a heads up. So we are here on the Retro Network, but there is an evolution of the Retro Network that is happening right now where we are going to be moving into a new phase 
where we're going to be rebranded as Geekster Magazine. So Geekster uh, is the banner under which, remember, that show will be falling. Uh, we'll be on the same feeds, you know, the same social media. All those things will be around, same website. But it's just uh, the name itself is going to be Geekster. And what that's going to mean will kind of be up to you. So you'll want to stay connected to at TRN Social on the various platforms to kind of get some updates about how you yourself can actually start participating in podcasts. If you're a blogger from way back and you want to contribute some articles, some pop culture you're obsessed with, things of that nature, because it's it's going to be a real kind of talent search as we're trying to bring new people in and see what you have to say, give you a, a chance to, to share your pop culture obsessions. So just wanted to send that out there. When you start seeing Geekster passed around, you'll know that is uh, what was once the Retro Network. But hey, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. And for now, we're changing the channel. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.